we're continuing a series of Seeking God First. I hope that um, this has been as helpful to you as it has been to me to think about seeking God first every day. Uh, not something that is easily done, not something easily accomplished, uh, but something definitely worth pursuing. And the highest priority of our life is to follow God and to follow Him every day. Uh, I'd like to start off with prayer today before we get into the Word of God, again in James chapter 2 today. So would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you that uh, we can open our hearts to you now. We thank you that um, in spite of everything else that may be going on in our lives right now, that we can put our focus, our attention on you, and you can speak to our hearts as only you can. Uh, I pray that uh, we would not be distracted. I pray that we would not be uh, caught up in other things that, that would make us miss what you would have to say to our hearts today. And as we talk about our faith, we talk about a faith that is real, a faith that is growing, a faith that is, is active and alive, I pray, Lord, that we would find that that's the kind of faith we have. And if not, Lord, that we would gain that faith today. Uh, help us, Lord, that, that we would just keep focused on you, listening to your heart from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. To Abraham, it seemed like it had been a whole lifetime of trusting God. He could hardly remember not walking with God. Ever since God first spoke to him and his wife, Sarah, and uh, called them from Ur of the Chaldees, almost 40 years had passed. And Abraham had learned to trust God completely. He had proven that he would, would do whatever God told him to do. But now God's new demand took him completely by surprise. God wanted him to take his son, Isaac, the child of God's promise, and go up to Mount Moriah and kill Isaac as a sacrifice to God. Abraham's faith in God had grown over the years as he learned to trust God more and more. But this seemed like too much to ask of anyone. His journey of faith started when at age 75, he heard the call of God on his life, a call that moved him and his wife hundreds of miles away from their families to an unknown land, still unidentified. God didn't even say, here's our destination. Just stay with me. Keep with me. Follow me day by day. They had to keep trusting God day by day until the day that they finally came to the land of Canaan. And God said, okay, this is the place I've been talking about. This is the place that I've been promising for you and your descendants. Still childless after many, many years, God promised this elderly couple that they would have a child together and that this child would be the beginning of a mighty nation of people. For 25 years, Abraham and Sarah hung on to God's promise until finally the child of promise came when Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was nearly 100. It was unheard of for a couple their age to have a baby, their first baby. It was laughable. Do you remember Sarah when she heard the story of the angels talking to Abraham that she laughed quietly in the tent? Yeah, yeah, right, you know. How in the world am I going to have this baby? And now, 11 or 12 years after the birth of Isaac, 
God is telling Abraham to do the unimaginable, to kill this celebrated son of promise. Genesis 22 tells us how God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him to there, there to God like you would a bull or, or a sheep. And this is not a bull or a sheep. This is his son. He has asked this of a human being, uh, and he'd never asked this before. He never would again. And to his credit, Abraham responds in faith and obedience. He has always been willing to act upon his faith, to do whatever the Lord told him to do. And even though he couldn't possibly understand why God would ask such a thing of him, he obeyed nonetheless. And without hesitation, he packed up the things for the journey. He headed for the place of sacrifice. And we still sit there absolutely shocked by what God is asking of him. And yet, Abraham is ready to do whatever God says. Hebrews 11, verse 19, helps us a little bit. It explains for us what was going on in Abraham's heart and head. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham was thinking, you know, God is demanding this terrible thing of me, but this is God. We're talking about God. And if God requires me to kill my son, God could raise him back to life again after I do so. This is God. After the sacrifice is made, I can have my son brought back to me. He still believed Isaac was a child of promise that God had given. And so he trusted God to full, fulfill whatever the promise might be. And so he faithfully followed God up to the top of that mountain. He built an altar. He bound his son with ropes. He laid him out upon the altar. And he was prepared to take his son's life. And just as he took the knife in his hand, he was about to, to kill his son. God finally stopped him from striking the boy with a fatal blow. God substituted a ram for the sacrifice. And he told Abraham to let his son go. God said, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you trust me, that you obey me. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, as you think about this and what God had demanded of Abraham, sometimes, like me, you may think, you know, this is kind of weird. You know, why would God even want this? Why would God demand this in the first place? But because of this event, we can better understand what God demanded of himself when he sent his son to the cross and when he watched him die on Calvary for our sins. The bottom line of this story for Abraham and for faith and what we can learn from this is simply this, that Abraham is a great example of someone whose faith causes them to do whatever God tells them to do. Even if God asks something that seems unimaginably horrible, he says, God, if this is what you want, that's what I'm going to do. The question is, is our faith of the same make, the same kind? as that faith that Abraham displayed over and over again in his life. Is our faith as active? Is our faith as alive? Is our faith as trusting? Is our faith as obedient as Abraham's? Is our faith visible to others because it is a faith of obedience? This is the topic that James turns to 
in this very practical letter that we have been studying together this summer. So we're going to go to chapter 2, and we're going to skip down to verse 14 and begin there. This is what James is talking about. He says, if our faith is genuine, if it's the real deal, if it is true, it will prove itself by what it does, how it obeys. Real faith does something, James says. Specifically says, if we have true faith in Christ, we will show that faith by doing good deeds for Christ in this world. Real faith in Christ not only saves us, but it also causes us to live for and obey and work for God. Somehow in today's generation, people are missing that. Somehow today... People think, well, faith is just this, this simple thing I do to get salvation in Christ, to get saved, but it's really nothing more than that. It's not anything beyond that. Many people are able to muster enough faith to get saved, but they don't think there's really anything required of them after that. They hear the good news of salvation in Jesus, and they get saved, but then they think they're kind of free to do whatever they want to do, as long as you don't do something really violent, you know, something really horrible like other people may do. God's just going to kind of leave you alone and eventually take you to heaven when you die. Far too many people, you see, believe in Jesus. They profess faith in Jesus as their Savior, but then they live with little or no evidence of faith in their daily lives. They hardly ever go to church, maybe, or they don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, uh, they don't serve others in love, they don't share their faith in Jesus Christ with lost people, and yet somehow they feel confident that God will still save them by His grace. You don't see evidence of their faith, but they believe they've trusted in Christ and they're going to be okay. Is it possible, that's the question, is it possible that a lot of people don't have genuine faith, the faith that the Bible talks about. They, they think they have faith, but it's not the faith of that caliber, of that, that description, of that definition that the Bible has. Is it possible that a lot of people don't have the real deal? Is it possible that there are a lot of people who think they will be saved, but they actually will not be? Now, that's, that's a scary thought. Because we may have a bunch of people that are, are convinced of something that they don't really have. And in order to avoid confusion on this, let me, let me start off with kind of an a explanation here. We are not saved by the good things we do. We could never be saved by our good works. We could never be saved by the good deeds that James is going to talk about here. We are saved only by God's grace. Okay, Everybody agree. We understand that. The forgiveness of our sins hinges on our faith in Jesus Christ to save us, not anything we could ever do to earn salvation. And when we put our faith in Christ to save us, we repent of our sins, we turn from sin to live for God, we openly confess that we are trusting Jesus to save us, we were baptized into Christ so that we might join with him, be joined with him in his death and resurrection, you know, and, and, and have salvation. All of this is something... You know, we're responding to this gift of grace. We are saved by what Jesus has already done, not by anything we do. But at the same time, let me be clear today, the faith that we have in Jesus that saves us is the same faith that will then live for him and obey him and work for him the rest of our life here on earth. 
Faith is faith. You know, if you have faith, then faith is seen. Faith is demonstrated. Faith is, is something you show, not just something you hold quietly in your heart and hope for the best. Faith is faith. And when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, we also make him our Lord. That's the difference. Not only is he our Savior, but he's Lord, he's leader, he's master of our lives. And when we accept the salvation that he offers freely to us as our Savior, we surrender to his leadership, his lordship in our lives. Otherwise, our faith is not the real deal. It's some uh, maybe counterfeit of that. So let's go to James chapter 2 to see exactly what the word of God says. Here's James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if any one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Pretty strong words. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Going back to the first paragraph that I read, starting with verse 14, it says, uh, James is saying, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Word of God is saying that genuine faith proves itself by what it does. If it is real faith, if it is a live faith, it is an active faith, it is true faith, then it will be seen, it will be demonstrated. What it does will show that faith to others. Again, it is not saying that we are saved by our works. We're not talking about salvation here by our good deeds. They will not ever be enough. They will not be enough to counterbalance this thing, to say, Bob, pile on the good deeds and somehow it will outweigh, take care of the things I've done wrong in my life. That is now how it works. It's only by God's grace that we are saved. But James talks about the genuineness of faith. The reality of faith. What is true faith? What is real faith? It is faith 
that does, a faith that obeys, faith that lives for God. And he gives us several examples, illustrations to prove his point. First of all, he talks about, oh, here's a situation. Here, your brother, sister, they're destitute, they're hungry, you know, they're, they're starving, they don't have anything to, do, to, to eat right now, and they come to you begging for help. And all you can say is, uh, you know, I'll pray for you, go and be be filled. Go, go in and be blessed by God. But you do nothing when you're holding in your own possession the food that they need in that day. When you have what God has blessed you with to bless them now, and you deny that, what good is that, James says? Genuine faith would do something for your brother or sister's physical needs. Faith that refuses to do anything is dead. It, it doesn't exist. Where is your faith if you turn away your brother or sister empty-handed? Then secondly, to amplify his point about faith without deeds, James says even demons believe. You know, if you want to say, well, I truly believe. I believe that God is God. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, okay? And you could just sit back and say, this is what I believe. Well, even demons could do that. I believe it's true that God is God. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But even demons uh, who believe that and shudder in God's presence, deny God, do not want God to rule their lives. And so they have rejected his lordship. Satan and his demons know as well as anyone that God is God and that Jesus is the only savior of this world. But they have not chosen to follow him. They have chosen to oppose him, chosen not to serve him. But genuine faith is not only saying God is God, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Genuine faith chooses to obey God and to serve God. So if you have genuine faith, there will be demonstration of that in your obedience and your service and your life. Third example. He turns to the example of Abraham, which we've already talked about this morning. The story we've already recounted when Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham's faith James says, was made complete, it was perfected, it was fulfilled, it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish when he obeyed God. It wasn't enough to say, well, God, you know, I, I believe you, I trust you, and, and I, I think you would do, if, if I would obey you, I think you would raise my son from the dead. No, he actually acted upon his faith. He took all that he needed in order to take his son and sacrifice him. He took the wood. He took his son. He took the knife. He prepared for the whole thing and was ready to slay his son in obedience to God because of his faith. And when he did so, God says, now I know that you fear me. Now I know you will obey me in all things and do whatever I ask you to do. And so he stayed his hand and God provided the ram instead for the sacrifice. It was only then, James says, that God credited Abraham's faith as righteousness, as being right with God when he saw his obedience, not only his faith, but a faith that meant obedience. And then finally, as an example, James gives us the example of Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot, who lived back in the days when the Israelites were first entering the promised land to take possession of it for God. You remember, or maybe not know, Rahab's story. Rahab was a citizen of the city of Jericho, the city that the Israelites were about to, to destroy through God's supernatural power. 
They didn't know exactly what was happening, but they lived in fear of these Israelites who had just come into the land. And word was that they were going to take over. And so living in fear, the city had, had boarded up, you know, and protected themselves. And Rahab has somehow been introduced to these two spies that went into Jericho for the Israelites to check things out. And as she met them, she decided to put her trust in their God. And so when the authorities came looking for these two spies, she hid them in her house. And when they came to the door and they begged for them to, 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 free, to give these guys up, she said, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, they're not here. I, in fact, uh, I, think, I think somebody said they left town. They, they left here and, and kind of took them off on the wrong direction. He, they protected these guys that were sent there by God as spies so that they would be ready to take over the city of Jericho. And instead of putting her faith in the gods of Jericho, she put her faith in the God of Israel and said, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my choice. I'm going to lay my life on the line here for these two guys that are hiding up in the roof of my house. So now after the authorities left, the spies come down and she's sending them out secretly in another way and tells them, you know, how they could be safe as they leave. And she says to them basically this, see, see how I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to your God. I've kept you safe from the authorities who were trying to kill you. Please remember me when you come to destroy my city. Please spare me and my family as you do so. And the spies promised that's what they would do. And that's how Rahab and her family were spared. Rahab showed her faith in God by putting her life on the line and protecting the Israelite spies. And because of her faith, Rahab and her family were, were the only residents of Jericho to survive the attack. Interestingly enough, if you don't know this, she appears later in Scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, the first chapter, in the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Her faith in God demonstrated in her actions to save the spies, saved her and her family, and earned her a place in the Messianic line. And Rahab's name is right there along with all the uh, ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. You see, there's a big difference between faith that does nothing and faith that does whatever it can for God. Big difference. There's a big difference between those who profess faith in Christ but keep on living the same way they've always lived and those whose lives take a dramatic turn toward God when they first believe in Jesus. There's a big difference between those who are satisfied with what they did to receive Christ way back when and say, I'll just kind of rest on that. Well, there was a time when preacher was speaking. There was a time when my friend shared about Jesus and I... I accepted Jesus. I accepted the salvation. And they just kind of rest on that as if all that, that, that is all God ever asks of them, all God ever uh, demands of them. There's a big difference between that person and the person whose life keeps demonstrating love for and obedience to God still today. One's faith is dead, but the other person's faith is very much alive. What's more, let's go to churches. There is a big difference between churches that make it as easy as possible to get saved and churches where the invitation to come to Jesus is unvarnished and realistic about the true cost of following Jesus for the rest of your life. 
be one thing to, to say to people, well, it's, it's really easy. All you have to do really is this and this, and, and you're done. And it's another thing to say, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be a cost to this. Some churches offer an invitation and tell people, for instance, just say this prayer. If you just say this prayer, if you'll, in fact, you don't have to even mouth it. Just hold up your hand as, as the preacher's up front. And if you hold up your hand and say, yeah, I'll, I'll be part of that. I'll do that. Or just nod your head. Make eye contact with me. Let me know that you made this decision for Christ. You're going to be good to go. You're fine. There's a big difference between that kind of church and a church that says salvation is free in Jesus Christ. You could not earn it. But if you have true faith in Christ, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost how you live your life. And you're going to have to be uh, surrendered to Christ in the way you live from this day forward. Some churches act as all we have to do is get our ticket punched, you know. Get your ticket punched and you're ready for when the train comes around. But others say we must also surrender to the lordship of Jesus in our life. And so New Hope Christian Church is in this second group. I hope you've got that figured out. The second group, because we know what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, Jesus said, will save it. Jesus, you know, I just see him over and over again with people, you know, and he's, he's trying to help them. He's trying to heal them. He's trying to bring them back to God, and he's calling for repentance. He's calling for a change of heart. And when the person comes to him and they're struggling with that, Jesus doesn't coddle them. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you just do this one little thing, you'll be fine. It's more like Jesus draws a line in this and said, go ahead, I dare you, cross over this. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a cost to this, but it's free what I'm going to give you, salvation today. So be careful, folks, of anyone who keeps telling you how easy it is to be a Christian, uh, a follower of Christ. We can only be saved by God's grace when we put our faith in Jesus to save us. But the faith that we have in Jesus must be expressed in full surrender to him to his leadership from that day forward. So here's the bottom line for today's lesson on seeking God first. Right here in James 2, do we have the kind of faith that proves itself by what we do? Do we have the faith of an Abraham who obeyed God when God demanded something that seemed impossible? said, I don't understand this is, this is crazy, this is impossible, but God, you demand it. My faith says, I will do what you demand. Do we have the faith of Rahab, who had lived her whole life in Jericho, knew nothing else about you know, God or anything until these spies show up, and now she's trusting in the Lord, the God of the Jews, when everyone else in her town is trusting their false gods and goddesses to save them. She says, I'm going to step across the line. I'm going to put my faith in the God of Israel. Do we have the kind of faith that obeys God and lives for God and works for God every day? A few years ago, someone was standing outside a 7-Eleven store. 
and they're you know just out there uh, doodling, and they, they look in the store, and they got the totally wrong impression of what was going on. They kind of panicked because they said, somebody's robbing this store. I'm standing outside, and there's this guy at the counter robbing the clerk there. And so they hid outside in the parking lot, and they dialed 911, and, and they reported this robbery. And the police came racing up, you know, lights and sirens, and, and rushed into the building expecting to find a robber. And there, nothing was going on at all. And I imagine everybody was scared to death by the police arrival, especially the clerk. You know, he's not being robbed. Nothing's, it's just a normal transaction here. And here are the police arriving as if there's terrible robbery. What happened was there was a cardboard figure of somebody right beside the cash register, and the person outside thought it was a robber. They thought that this cardboard figure was somebody real, and because they looked kind of threatening or menacing or everything, they, they decided there's something bad going on in this store. And so you know what these cardboard figures are like. They can be so lifelike that people, you know... Uh, in downtown Washington, D.C., have you ever been down there and they've got the president there and a cardboard figure and the guy says, you want to have your picture with the president? And so they make it look really real. They, they charge you, I don't know what now, 10 bucks or something to get this picture. So it looks like you're with the president. One time we were in this little place and they had a, like even the podium that the president speaks from and you could get in there and behind it said, you know, the president of the United States and the seal and everything. And, and you act as if you're there beside the president. These life-size figures can be so lifelike that people mistake what they really are. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Is that the kind of faith you have, that just two-dimensional? You know, is it just something that looks good to everyone else? You know, as long as you don't turn sideways, everybody thinks my faith is really good. I look good. I, I look nice on Sunday morning. I speak the right language. I say the right thing. So everybody's convinced, other people are convinced, that I have true faith. And God gets behind the figure and says, no, you don't. That's not true faith. That's counterfeit. You're a cardboard Christian. You look like the real deal, but you're not. You fooled other people, but God knows the difference. And so can we if we look a little bit dif- di- deeper into somebody's life. If we, if we look, like James says, what are they doing for Christ? What are they doing with their faith? How are they living their faith? What dem- are the demonstrations of their faith? How do they obey Christ? How do they serve Christ? How do they talk about Christ? What evidence of their faith can we see? Now they're no longer a cardboard Christian. They're the real deal. The faith that we have in Jesus that saves us is the same faith that lives for Jesus and obeys Jesus and works for Jesus the rest of our lives. That's the thing. Do you have that kind of faith? Is that the kind of faith you have? Is that the kind of faith uh, that is doing what it's supposed to be doing? See, Abraham was credited as, as good and righteous, right with God, because you could see. God says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know what you're made of. My friend Terry Wallen died tragically some years ago. Um, He was a high school friend. We went to church together, to school together. Uh, Still, when we go to Largo, Florida, we get to see his wife. And, and, uh, you know, just a great family, two boys they had together. But some time ago, he was one of the youth sponsors and he went with a trip uh, with our high school youth group from Florida up to Grundy, Virginia. 
down in the southwest corner of the state. And they wanted to do some mission work at the Mountain Mission School. Um, he was one of the adult sponsors, as I said, for the group. And, and so they would stay out at this place. It's called Brakes Interstate Park. Some of you may know that park. Beautiful campground. And they camp there at night. Then they drive into Grundy and they do their work at the school. And then they go back at night. Well, Terry was an experienced repeller. He could repel off of, you know, these cliffs and stuff. And, and uh, he had been repelling for many years. Uh, and he actually taught that uh, for some time. And one day, that day, he said, let's give these kids an opportunity to see what repelling is like. There's some beautiful places for that. So they took the teens out to this high cliff, and they were going to demonstrate repelling and then say, you know, if you want to try this, you're welcome to try that. We'll start you off with something a little easier, then we'll build up to this. But they're up at the top of this cliff, and Terry's up there saying, here's the, the gear we wear. We wrap the ro rope around our waist, and we tie it in a certain way, and we put it in the clip and whatever goes on. I, I don't understand repelling, but he understood it all ins and outs. He got everything ready, showing the teens how to put everything on and uh, jumped off, but he did something wrong. And they all stood there and watched him go straight to the bottom and die. A whole youth group. There was somebody that they'd already stationed at the bottom, you know, to receive him, you know, and be there, you know, whenever he got to the bottom. And they rushed to him, but it was too late. He was gone. I mean, instantly he died. Now, it made me sick when I first heard that. I thought, yeah, this, this is a tragedy that should never happen. Tragedy doesn't make any sense. Tragedy, is, I still wrestle with this, like, God, why didn't you prevent that, you know? This should never have happened. He knew exactly what to do. He knew how to be safe. He even taught safe repelling to others. He knew better than anyone how to tie the knots the way that he did. But somehow he made a deadly mistake that day. He missed something. He, he didn't look at it carefully. I just want you and me not to make a similar mistake with our faith. Let's look carefully at our faith today. James 2.14 asks this question, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, you know, has no evidence, no showing, no demonstration, no obedience? Can such faith save them? James asks. And the answer is no. Faith is not sitting back and hoping that Jesus will save you someday. Or to say, you know, somewhere along the line, I put my faith in him, but I really haven't, really haven't followed through on that. This is a perfect time for us to stop and think about our faith and whether the faith that we think we have is the real deal or not. Because if it's not, you cannot have assurance of salvation. You cannot have the life in Christ that you think you have. The faith in Jesus that saves us is the same faith that lives for Jesus and obeys Jesus and, and works for Jesus every day of our lives. Is that the kind of faith that we have? Father, I pray today that you would challenge us today to think through the faith that we have in Jesus, to not uh, immediately say, oh, I'm okay, I'm just fine but that we would really think about our faith. There's someone here today, Lord, that has never put their faith in Jesus to save them. I hope that they'll know that this is not a simple, easy decision and, and nothing is really expected. 
nothing required because it's all free it's all good and and uh after you get this free salvation you just live however you want that 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 thought needs to be driven from our hearts lord because jesus said whoever would follow me must take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me day after day and give up their life so that they can find true life lord if there's someone here today that has been a christian for some time and somehow their faith has grown dormant and weak and and uh, frail and, and almost to the edge of not even existing, Lord, may, may there be a sharp challenge to them today by your word, not from me, but by your word that says, wake up. Do you have real faith? Is it the real deal? If that change needs to happen, if there needs to be a dramatic change, it's not too late for that to happen. It can happen this very moment by a decision of their will the choice to follow jesus not only as savior but as lord as master of our lives help us lord even if we have been following christ and and things have gotten a little bit uh, weak and loose lately in our faith that we are challenged today lord to to go deeper to be more obedient uh, to be sold out to you not just keeping you out there on the edges just for good luck or for the future or, or whatever but there would be the real faith that is lived out every day that is lived in obedience that that good deeds follow good works serving others in love serving you lord telling other people about you lord uh, whatever is required of us lord that that that's what we're about because we have true faith, the faith that saves, the faith that lives for Christ. Bless us now as we think about these things and as we leave today, go home and continue to meditate. Uh, draw us close to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name.